0: between Mr. Rex Wales and Sir Harry Ricardo in March 1961. And as a child, y- you said you were, were watched and approached by an old craftsman, Turner, in Grazing Road. Oh, yes. What did you make?
1: Uh, what did he make? Yes. Almost everything under the sun. Yes. Just odds and ends uh, for local uh, people. Yes. I mean, he would make a screw to fit... Something that
0: uh, was missing. Yes.
1: Uh, he, he didn't make anything. Jobbing. Uh, just jobbing generally. And what was his name?
0: That I can't remember. I'm <laughs> afraid. Uh, beyond me. And when you were ten years old, uh, you were given your own screw-cutting lathe. Yes. Uh, what make was it? again I'm afraid I can't tell you. Oh, right.
1: it, it was a, a second-hand one of yeah. considerable age at yeah. that date oh, yes. a treadle lays yes but I'm afraid I can't tell you the name
0: and what did you make of it? I made uh, mainly model steam engines oh yes uh, what sort? no uh, uh no, stationary
1: yeah, or for model boats yes uh, Mostly, uh, I started off trying to make a double-acting engine from a set of
0: castings, and found it too difficult. Did you buy the castings from Stevens uh, Model Backyard, or...? Uh,
1: I bought it from, I think, Stuart Turner were we oh, I think there was Stuart Turner. Oh, Henley. At Henley, yes, oh. yes.
0: And when you at rugby, you were given the freedom of Williams and Robinson's works by Mr. Robinson yes Uh, what most impressed you about the works both for its equipment and its personnel
1: oh I think the I think the the modern methods or what are then modern methods of manufacture the things that impressed me most Uh the use of grinding and the use of broaching Uh, and uh, generally of a technique that I hadn't seen uh, previously anywhere and also I was impressed with the design of the engine very much and uh, it's behavior. The Willens high-speed engine. The yes. high-speed
0: yes. central valve yes. engine. Yes. Would it be true to say that that uh, works really in the end fail because of the uh, premature death of Willens in an accident? Uh, I don't quite follow. Uh, that. Would it be true to say that the works... Uh, eventually failed because of the premature death of villains who was killed in a, in a row. Oh, I think largely, yes, yes. that was yes. it.
1: But he was killed, before I was a drag he was killed oh, very yes. early yes. on. Yes. And I think they started off on adventures, they, st- they took up the Nicholas boiler, uh, uh, and that was a failure. Uh-huh. And I think that landed them rather heavily in the suit. So, but also, I think they failed eventually by competition with uh, the high-speed double-acting engines of Penison yeah. um, Walkham oh, yes, and I many can. others. Yes. But uh, for, for a long time, they had the field to yeah. themselves, practically, as yes. Willens. They were making all the
0: generating plant, nearly. Grover and was were the first, I believe. But, uh, uh-huh. The Grove and the Galleries, uh, power station was one of the first. Uh, was it one that, that I wouldn't do, yeah, was it? Yes. When you were at Cambridge, you built your own 15 horse, four stroke racing motorcycle. Now, what was the cylinder arrangement and, uh, uh, the size of it and what was the drive and the performance and were there any special features? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the, the cylinders in that case, I bought the castings yeah. from a firm, I think the Lacell company, who supplied the castings of cylinders and air-cooled cylinder barrels and heads. And I bought the largest that they supplied. And that was? That was four-inch bore. Oh, yeah. uh, and it's a two-cylinder V engine. Yeah. The rest of the engine I made myself. It was a. It had automatic inlet valves, yeah. and uh, I can't tell you what part developed because
0: yeah. it was never it was never tested. No. Um, it was then in a way similar to the old M A G engine with the automatic inlet valve.
1: Yes. yes.
0: Yes. Yes. And a belt drive or chain or a shaft. A direct belt drive. Direct belt drive.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Um, uh, you also built your own high-speed two-stroke engine. Uh, yes, now, you that don't is. describe that anywhere. What was that like?
1: Well, th- that is described uh, actually in the first volume in the, uh, of my book, of Mankies. Oh. Oh. Uh, it was also, it was built by several small firms. So. Incidentally, one firm here in Shoreham. Okay. Which is now Suter's Boatyard. Uh-huh. Th- that was uh, it was then known as the Dolphin Engine. Yeah. I-, I think it has been fairly fully
0: described yeah. in yeah. some books. Um, you say that Professor Hopkinson taught you three main things. The first was never to accept anything at second hand unless it accorded with one's own common sense and experience. Yes. and the second thing was to be skeptical of one's own observations when they fail in this respect and the third was never to cling too long to a theory however cherished could yes. you give me examples of any or all of those three concrete examples oh, uh,
1: I have to think them up I don't know that I can I can't offhand I don't think not off the cuff Well, I think, for example, I I was extremely keen on the two-stroke engine. And uh, gradually I began to realize that it, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of for motor vehicles, that it couldn't really compete. And and, uh, so I gave it, I discarded it. Very uh, really reluctantly, but I found that that, that once having made up one's mind to discard it, one could do so very easily. Uh, as regards observations, I think I should have to try and think out an example. We had an, ex- uh, an example, it's not perhaps a very good one, of uh, an observation we made, and we were troubled with the overheating of the certain one particular bearing in the six-cylinder the six engines. And we rather just suggested that, that it was due to crankshaft torsional vibration and that the, the amplitude of vibration would be greatest in that bearing. And so we put up a line shaft with six bearings and uh, two flywheels on each end to give us torsional oscillation which should have given a much higher temperature if the theory was correct. And we fitted parameters in all mm. those bearings. And uh, we took readings. Oh, <laughs> I had a young man straight from the university in charge of it. And uh, by pyrometer there was nothing much to choose. The bearing that ought to have run hot according to the pyrometer did not. And, uh, he, uh, brought me along to look at this. But you've only got to put our finger off it. It was blazing hot. I don't remember
0: that as a, a typical example. <laughs> and, uh, what about not, not um, accepting anything as second hand? This is, the of course, I know, common sense. Huh?
1: Well, I think that's a general that's no, right. yeah. I don't think one
0: can, can put any particular uh, on it. You said that in 19, from 1907 to 1910, in your grandfather's uh, firm, you were responsible for the inspection of machinery and equipment required by the firm. Yes. yes. Uh, have you any. Uh, reminiscences uh, of that uh, there can be rather amusing reminiscences in connection with inspection, I know <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, not
1: particularly no, I'm afraid I can't again offhand uh, I say I could given time I could think up some but, but mostly it consisted in inspecting uh, what you would call contractor's machinery mostly hydraulic and pneumatic in those days I can't, oh yes I, I can re- remember except uh, tests on an air compressor in which they were com- uh, compressing into a large boiler and the uh, the measure, uh, the capacity of the boiler of course was accurately known and the uh, The test was simply how long it took to build up to 100 pounds pressure, but there was no after cooling there at all, and it built up to 100 pounds very rapidly, (laughs) uh, naturally. At that time, the firm accepted. I mean, they said, well, there you are, it's It's built up so many cubic feet in so many minutes, regardless of temperature.
0: I don't know if that's a... Oh, yes, I think so. That's anything, I mean.
1: yeah.
0: Now, when, in 1910, you started your own design and workshop department within the firm, where was it located? It was located then in Dartmouth Street, oh, in yes. Westminster. Ah. Um, how, uh, how did you equip it? Hmm? How was it equipped? Oh, I, I had two draftsmen who, who were normally...
1: Uh, working on bridge construction and that sort of thing. My grandfather's firm were consulting uh, railway engineers, uh, and uh, I I just borrowed these two draftsmen to help me. Uh, That was the whole equipment. Uh, There was no workshop then? No, no, no.
0: I had to get everything done out No, no, there No, no. You didn't at any time... um, uh, employ my late firm, did you? Uh,
1: George Wells and Company.
0: Uh-huh. George Wells and Company, Houston Road. No, I don't think they did, no, no, I didn't. You say that you made a four-cycle supercharged engine for high-altitude flying. Yes. Uh, which, um, was used eventually to compare fuels and uh, their det- uh, detonation tendencies. Now, how was the, how are the cylinder arranged and what was the power? Well, it was only a single cylinder yes. engine,
1: uh, with a crosshead piston. Uh, there the, the is actually, I did write a paper yes, about sir. it. Uh, <laughs> I, used, I used the underside of the piston as the supercharger, yes. and I could vary the, the supercharge uh, at will. Uh, by, by throttling between the two halves. The, the idea at the time, the main idea at the time was is that you would bring the supercharge in gradually as the altitude increased. And with an uncompensated carburetor, the mixture would keep reasonably
0: constant.
1: Yes. Mind you, at that time, 10,000 feet yes. was considered a very high altitude. <laughs> indeed,
0: indeed. <laughs> <laughs> they mainly flew at um, 1,000 or less. Uh, Is made They were mainly flew at 1,000 or less. Yes. yes, yes. Well, yes, that sort of world, that sort yes. Of world. Yes. yes, yes, yes. Well, in 1916, you became an independent consultant, and you designed engines for tanks. Yes. And you say you were much assisted by Mr. Windler, uh, Mr. Day, and, uh, Major Brown, was it? Uh, Commander. Commander Brown. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, can yes. you it would be very interesting indeed if you could give us any reminiscences of those three. Of course, Charles mm-hmm. Day was president of all the mechanicals. Yes. And some of us knew him, but many didn't. Uh, what about Mr. Windler?
1: Windsor well, was a very, uh, uh, was the most outstandingly able man. I think he was very, very modest and retiring, and would, would never, uh, would never push himself forward in any way. But he did a masterly job over that. I think it was a curious arrangement. Why I was in, invited to do it, I have never really understood. I think it was probably on Hopkinson's recommendation, but. Uh, uh, that, that I have no confirmation of. But uh, Windler le- lent me two junior draftsmen, uh, uh, apprentice draftsmen, and with their help we got out the designs. But the final detailed drawings, uh, as issued to the workshops, were supervised by Windler. Yes. Well, he also organized the, the building of those engines by uh, six other firms. Gardner, Wright, Lindley, Crossley, uh, Peter Brotherhood, who's the other? was um, oh, National Gas Engineers. Oh, and I think one other, I've forgotten at the moment. But anyway, that, uh, it was one magnificent organization that got all those firms together to work as a team. Well then Commander Brown who I'd known before well I'd known him in the days when I'd been trying to develop contractors machinery for for which (laughs) building. He he was one of our standbys. He was always very charming to me. And he... uh, uh, promised me that if uh, he, he, he said that these engines would be subject to a gradient of criticism necessarily unavoidably and he would rush one engine through the head of all you know, so that could had it quietly to test without uh, any publicity so to speak which he did It was very noble of him and, and he, he said send me along your drawings and sketches as you go don't don't wait till uh, properly completed, and we'll make up an engine as quickly as he we could. Well, he did really, I think, a remarkable piece of work because we only started with a clean sheet of paper in October, and his en- he had an engine running uh, early in March. That was, sure it was really was a wonderful piece of work. meanwhile, the uh, Wintler was getting on and getting production started. And uh, production began, production began, at I think produced one in about May. The other firms followed very rapidly. Within 12 months, they were doing 100 a week, It was... Uh, Very good going indeed. Well, I think the the whole credit for for getting that going and organizing it. And also, of course, Wendler provided experience that I lacked. He he was Merle's designer. Uh, And uh, he did it extraordinarily well. And also we had very good cooperation. Gardner's uh, helped very well indeed. And they also provided a lot of useful experience. And they, they made all the crankshafts for all the ferns. And the whole thing was found out between this group of ferns. And
0: it worked together, like beautifully. what about Charles Day?
1: Well, Charles Day uh, was, was very helpful indeed. I, I don't think I've got anything very much I can... <laughs> Uh, I can say about him, uh, he, uh, he he helped also in, in the organization, and he, I think he helped mainly in, in allowing Windler to uh, uh, devote his whole time to the thing. I, I always found him a very charming person, uh, but I don't know that I've got any... Anything very special? Uh-huh.
0: Did any amusing things happen during the production of the engines? Uh-huh. Did any amusing things happen, <laughs> or, or curious things?
1: <laughs> well, not. Um, I had one rather anxious time, which was, which was this that in those engines I'd been. Horrified. I had been out in tents. They were the very early stage. I was rather horrified at the showers of grit that were being brought into the machine all the time by the tracks. And I decided that I wouldn't allow any risk of that getting into the lubricating system. And so I, I did not was rather criticized at time. I, I, I sealed up the crankcases hermetically. The pistons... The, uh, I, I separated the pistons from the crankcase. They were cross And they were lubricated more or less independently. But uh, uh, criticism was leveled against the engine. You, you might possibly get petrol down into the crankcase. You might get a combustible mixture forming. And you might uh, <laughs> have the ignition of some sort due to a hot belly and the whole thing would blow up. Well, I wasn't really very worried about that because the chances of petrol getting into the crankcase were very remote. The chances of <coughs> forming a combustible mixture which wasn't too weak or too rich were very really remote. And the chance of anything... Uh, 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 igniting it was still more so so I came to the conclusion it didn't matter and also the crankcases cases had large inspection doors which would have blown off Uh, the, the, the rest of the structure was very massive and if they had blown off it wouldn't have mattered very much however that criticism rather knocked at the back of my mind all the time And I went out after they'd had about two or three (laughs) hundred engines in service in France, I went out to to France to the headquarters of their repair shops, and I was taken around by a major and very timidly I inquired whether the engines behaving all right. He said, Yes, they behave all right (laughs) Leblanc. Uh, I said, what do you mean by blow-up? He said, oh, fly to pieces like a shell or a bomb. And uh, this is rather horrifying. And he beckoned to a sergeant who was in the shop, who brought in a wheeler uh, handbarrow loaded with scrap little bits and there wasn't a single piece of the bed plate, which was a cast iron bed plate, bigger than found my hand, it shattered. The crankshaft was tied into a sort of lover's knot with bits of connecting rod still adhering to it. And it a total wreck, such a wreck as I've never seen. And he said, you see, that's how they go, they'll go like that, sooner or later. I could get nothing more out of him. Uh, He wouldn't. He wouldn't tell me anything. And it wasn't till much later in the day, talking to another tank officer, and I said, I told him what I'd seen. He said, "Didn't I explain to you what happened?" I said, "No, I simply told him it blew up, and they all go like that." He said, "Well, we, we put a very large." The emulation charge under the bed plate of the engines. So that in the case of the tank being abandoned, we let it off. And one of these went off then
0: still. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well. well. <laughs> you know, after the war, um, Duncan Watson, the electrical contractor, bought a number of uh, new, unused <laughs> engines of yours. Oh, uh, we mounted them on lorries, and they were used on location for filming. Oh, really? did you have anything to do with that? Uh, no? Uh, no, I didn't know about that. Oh uh, no, was that so? Uh, I hope they behaved all right. Yes, they behaved all right. Some of the people who operated them didn't. The um, uh, uh, first four arts world, the Albert Hall, uh which, uh, after the 14th War, they used it, uh, the man in charge who had been an apprentice of my father's uh, yes, opened three doors that happened to be in line at one spot uh, from the floor itself to the outside and shone the searchlights in horizontally and made all the ladies transparent oh. <laughs> yes. uh, in
1: 1918
0: you uh, said you were consultant to Rolls, Bristol, Napier, Sidley, and the Air Ministry, among other things. Yes. And you gave a very interesting appreciation of Royce. Uh, have you any comments on the designers of the other firms, such as Fedden, Halford, Wilson, and uh, also John Sidley, who afterwards became Lord Kenilworth?
1: Yes. Well, uh, of those that you mentioned, uh, I put Royce head and shoulders for the best. I mean, he really was a, he was a great artist, as well as, as well as a very fine mechanical designer. Uh, and I think his mechanical design was the best I've ever known. Uh, the, the others were not quite in the same class. I think Sidley was a... Uh, whom I knew... Fairly well. Uh, w- was essentially a, a, a businessman, really, I, uh, he was not—he uh, was not really technical. But, uh, I think a man with very good business judgment. Uh, Finn, you were asking—I—I I knew him very well indeed. He—he uh, is he, extremely able man, and uh, a man. I, uh, Again, I should say, with a very first-rate technical judgment. But he was not a designer himself, really. He got... uh, The designing work was done by his assistants. But he he was a very good... He he had that instinctive technical judgment to know what would work and what wouldn't. Yes. And I think I'd say exactly the same of Halford. Really? Uh, He he again... uh, he again knew, knew what, uh, almost instinctively, what was the right thing to do, but not how to do it. Uh, uh, there he was helped by, he had two very able men, uh, Milt and Brody, who did the actual design work. See, I've forgotten who was the other
0: Well, um uh, what about Fell? Fell? Yes.
1: Oh, uh... uh He's an able man, but I, I wouldn't have put him in the same class with the others, as you were speaking of. Not by Calford? No, he, again, I think he'd got a, a, a good technical judgement, but he's uh, rather an
0: erratic uh,
1: fellow. Uh,
0: oh, Paul was erratic, wasn't he? Yes, yes he uh, yes. decided there, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um <clears throat> Who, who else would you put in the first rank of designers? Oh, you I know, mean I have to think of this.
1: <laughs> oh, I put Fiali, uh, who was the designer of the uh, Sidley... I, I put him in the first rank, I think. Yes. Uh, he, he designed the, the Armstrong Sidley era of And yes. uh, he, he really was first rate. Um, well, Rowledge again, who, who was originally with Napier's and then latterly with Rolls-Royce. Uh, I, I put him very high up, indeed. I think I put him second to Royce as, as a designer. Any, any other particularly outstanding ones? I think in this country we've, we've got a very large number of very able men. It's difficult to, to pick
0: on any particularly outstanding men. You would say the outstanding designer is, in his own line, a complete artist? Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. yes.
1: Well, I, mean, yeah. I, th- I think people like Fede yeah. and Royce and Raleigh, were were really artists. Uh, They they were not highly technical. Uh, Royce had never had any technical training at all. But but, uh, it was almost instinctive uh, genius uh, there. Latterly, uh, Royce got all the technical help that he needed, but his designs were were stressed out by uh, uh, experts. But they were they were they were always all right. <laughs> it's just the general sense of proportion, I think, and uh, well, artistry really. Real artistry.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, when you set up here in 1918, 19, uh, you why did you choose Shoreham?
1: Well, I've known Chorlton all my life. Uh, I used to, as a child. We used to live in used to take a cottage near, near Worthing, and I'd always had my, rather well, my eye on this place, as being a, a place reasonably near London. We could make as much noise as we liked. And uh, the amenities generally were attractive. Yeah. I think uh, we, we were not, there was no reason why we should be in an industrial area. In fact, we were better than out of it, really
0: and uh, you worked for Shell. Have you any uh, recollections of uh, uh, Whaley Cohen? Oh, very much so,
1: yes. He, uh, he again, was was a a very able man indeed. I should think an absolutely first-rate businessman, very charming, and uh, a, a uh, a fine chemist, too. I mean, he knew... He was technical as well as financially able. I came, I came cross-shell in rather a curious way because I, I had been experimenting for a long time with, with my supercharging engine on fuels. I, I, I had realized, well really I'd realized from I think Hopkinson's early teaching that The problem of detonation was the uh, outstanding limit to the performance of an engine, and that it was was a function largely of the fuel, partly of uh, combustion chamber shape, mainly of the fuel. And I I had been working on this on my uh, own, uh, well then... When the the tanks uh, engines uh, came into being I was asked to go on behalf of the tank department to plead for a better fuel because we were given the very worst fuel there was. And uh, I went to a very high level committee I hadn't the slightest idea who any of them were. They were service chiefs and the chairman of this committee was a very big dominating looking fella, And I pleaded f- for a better fuel. And uh, because my engines were knocking their heads off, rather. Well, I got shot down completely. The, the attitude was that the best fuel goes the fastest machine to the aeroplane. The next best to the car. And a, a thing that only does three or four miles an hour... ...can trundle along on anything... That was rather the attitude. And so, having failed, I said, well, can't we have benzol, which uh, does not uh, detonate. And uh, they said, oh, no, you can't have benzol. it's not a fuel at all, it's not recognized, it doesn't fit the specification, that's the question. Although there was quite a lot of benzol available at that time. Well, I, I came away defeated. But... Uh, the chairman took me aside after the meeting and said, well, what's all this talk about benzol and detonation? Uh, what's it all about? And I told him what I, my theories were and what I'd done. It turned out he was little Waley Cohen. I had no idea who he was at all. And he was very charming. And he... Uh, invited me out to dine with him and said well let's talk all this over this is very interesting indeed and uh, i told him what what i knew and what my beliefs were and he said well i'll send you samples of fuel from all our principal oil fields this was during the war and see if you can find uh, differences in them and what are the best well, my equipment was rather crude. It was all homemade then. And I couldn't find much difference except one fuel which was outstandingly better than all the others. And I, I reported this to him. And he said, oh, that fuel comes from Borneo. And uh, it's, uh, it's very highly aromatic. And uh, it's turned down. It doesn't fit the specification because its specific gravity is too high. And is being burnt to waste in the Borneo jungle. <laughs> well, he took action immediately and got shipments of this fuel over here and used it for blending with other petrols. And then he said, "Well, after uh, as soon as the war is over, uh, would you undertake a general research on on petrol?" And so we made a, I told him what I would like to do. He wanted to make a, a variable compression engine and various other equipment. And he said, all right, we uh, go ahead, we'll uh, we'll finance you to do it. And that really was, that well tipped the scale. I'd always wanted to have a laboratory of my own, but uh, he, he, he promised a contract, a three-year research contract, and that really uh, tipped the scale and we went ahead with it. So that was really my first contact. <laughs> when, <laughs> really, kind was of a delightful person to work with, very understanding and very helpful. And of course, they, they immediately will say, well, why didn't the shell do this research themselves? But uh, there were, I don't, he told me afterwards he had, he had domestic reasons for doing it this way, because theoretically all the research side of uh, the, the getting of the fuel and the refining of the research is, is done by Holland. Uh, and there, therefore they couldn't set up a, a ...and a voluntary of their own. (laughs) But that didn't prevent them uh, going outside. You said that uh, in
0: 1932 to 1939, you were interested in light high-speed diesels, and you've uh, written quite a lot about that. Yes. Now, have you any comments to make on Edward Paxman, who was very interested in that? I knew him very well. I shared a study with him at Angle and rooms with him at Cambridge. Oh, really? And um, I've always been very interested to know what other engineers uh, thought of his work.
1: Oh, I thought he was brilliant. Uh, the most delightful person to work with. Uh, 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 oh, very, very able, uh, both technically and uh, well, from a general business point of view. I think, I think his death was
0: a terrible Tragic. loss. Really. Charles Day told me it was a loss to the nation. Would you agree? Uh, Charles Day told yeah. me that Paxton's death was a loss to the nation. Yes, I you would, would agree that.
1: Yes, I think it was. Yes, yes. And, uh, he did he did a most wonderful job, I think, in, in building these uh, engines for tank landing craft. He, he got them going uh, and got got them bits farmed out. All having I mean, organised the whole thing and made a tremendous success of it. Well, he made a success of the firm because it was rather moribund before he took over. Uh, yes,
0: but through that A.G.E. combine and the financier erect, you yes, remember? Yes, I think more from financial point of view than anything else. Uh, yes, maybe.
1: But, I mean, he, he revitalized uh, Davy Faxman. And I, I remember them in my days when I was an in inspector. The uh, they,
0: they, were, they were very, very ancient even then. Well, he told me, not long before he died, that the job he was most proud of, the high-speed engines which powered the boats, used to run the gauntlet through the Skagger Act. Yes. War. Would you agree that that was his finest bit of of, uh, design he said that he himself was responsible for that design yes well
1: we we did the we did the actual designing yeah but he he, uh, he,
0: He initiated he looked at it and
1: I I think it's quite true to say he was very largely
0: responsible we did it to fit his uh, requirements I knew he knew you very well he told me so of course yes um could you give me a comparative assessment of the work done by Diesel and by Aykroyd Stewart? Oh, that's very difficult. <laughs> and, um, could you say why they are all called Diesels when they obviously are not all Diesels?
1: I, I think that's a bit, that's a most difficult one to answer. I can't. It seems to me, from what I, uh, I uh, know of it, that Diesel was eminently a professor and put forward this uh, heat cycle intending to design a, an engine to run on coal dust. And that was the original intention. Well, in point of fact, it was a failure on coal dust. And it, it, just about that time, uh, what we now call diesel oil was a drug in the market. And the MAN company in Germany uh, modified the engine, modified it greatly, and even modified the heat cycle to some extent, and made a success of it. And I think the credit, I should say, the credit really goes to the engineers of the MAN rather than the diesel. Well, then,
0: Aykroyd Stewart.
1: Well, Aykroyd Stewart, of course... The the only engine Ackroyd Stewart ever produced and marketed was quite a low compression engine, which which did not work on the diesel cycle at all. It's quite true in his patent specification. He rather forecast a a cycle which is the the modern diesel cycle. But it was never dark made. I I don't know... I don't know how much credit
0: you give to a person who vaguely yes. <laughs> suggests the thing but without yes. bringing it into being. Well, I'm interested because the first successful Aykroyd Stewart engines before he sold them to Pawnsby, were made by my grandfather in Euston Road. Oh, is that so? Yes. Oh, really? Oh, really? Um, uh, Aykroyd Stewart's own works at Bletchley were not up to turning out a good enough job. Oh. For instance, they turned oval cylinders and then file the pistons to suit. (laughs) (laughs) Is that so? Yes, yes. Do you think there's any future for lightweight diesels in aircraft or hovercraft? Uh, um, Is there any future, would you say, for lightweight diesels in either aircraft or hovercraft?
1: I don't know about hovercraft. I don't think there's any future in aircraft at all. No, I think they're sad. Uh, There was a period about the late 1920s when the octane number of fuel was very low uh, uh, and therefore we could not uh, build aero engines of high compression and high efficiency when the diesel really looked like being a competitor but with the great improvement in fuel up to 100 octane the the petrol engine walked right ahead there's no No improvement in the fuel of the diesel engine is going to have any effect, or any appreciable effect. And what about gas turbine development? What's the future there, do you think? I think there's, of course, there's an enormous future in aircraft. It's pretty obvious, in fact, I think that all aircraft will have gas turbines. In fact, all, all that we're building today do. I can't see very much future for it industrially. There are cases, I think, where you've got a lot of waste heat and so, uh, oil refineries and processes uh, where it's worth doing. Uh, I'm very sceptical about, really, about the industrial gas turbine.
0: Do you think they've uh, developed on the right lines, or the lines that you would have gone on if you'd had the opportunity? I think on the whole they've developed on the right lines.
1: Uh, 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 there is a A scheme, which on paper looks very attractive, but it's not very easy to bring into being, of using an extremely highly supercharged engine, making a compound engine of it and a turbine. Uh, Of course, in a modest way, we do that in using a a turbo uh, supercharger. But you can, if you work up to about six or seven atmospheres of supercharge you can then get the whole of the power out of the turbine. And that's attractive, I think. And you've got a very enormous ratio of expansion. Uh, well, it's really just the same uh, story as the compound steam engine, But it becomes a very complicated. And when it, when you really get down to it, it's very, very difficult to match the characteristics of the engine, the supercharger, and the, and the uh, turbine, so that the each is working at an optimum efficiency. And the attempts that we and other people have made have been disappointing. Uh,
0: then you would put it at the moment, the chances are about the same as getting a, a turbine, steam turbine locomotive.
1: Yes, That's yes. thought of yes. The complication okay. isn't worth it. Uh, the complication becomes too great.
0: Uh, have you any comments on the future trend of internal combustion engineering, as such?
1: I'm uh, beginning to feel we're getting rather to a dead end, to tell you the truth. Uh, the, the, you see, the petrol engine, uh, apart from, well, it's, 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 you can say it's dead as far as aviation is concerned, and on the road, it hasn't, there's been no substantial improvement in the last 30 years. And I find it very difficult to see in what direction you you can improve it appreciably. Uh, The the petrol engine is practically, I would say it's practically dead except for road use. Of course, it's an enormously wide usage, but uh, the diesel has replaced it on water and uh, for all other, practically all other purposes except pleasure vehicle today. Uh, He's almost the only user... I th- well, again, the high-speed diesel, I feel, is getting rather near the near the end of its awesome. development. I, I can't see very much that we can do. Uh, I think the time has, arri- uh, has arrived and we want some new form of prime mover. <laughs> what <laughs> I'm not prepared <there>
0: to, <laughs> to guess. If you had your time. Over again, and were not able to be an engineer, what would you have been?
1: I think I would have gone into the Navy. That was, that was my other thing. I don't think I had, I don't think I had any other
0: profession in view. Well, thank you very much. Now,